Well, hello, Westwood family. It's great to see you all today and honored to get to bring today's message. And before we dive into that, uh, we just want to take a couple minutes and honor some special people around us. So this last Friday was Veterans Day, and if you are a veteran, if you've served in the armed forces, uh, we're asking if you would stand up. And that's, that's at every campus, West Tonka, Bush Lake, Chan. I know that we have to coax you all a little to stand, so please stand uh, so that we can honor you. Thank you. Thank you. Have you noticed how hard it is to get these men and women to stay standing? So let's stand with them so we can pray for them. If you would, let's stand. And if you're near one of these people, put a hand on them. Lord, we honor you and thank you for these incredible people who have served in a way that reflects your heart, uh, willing to stand in the gap for others, willing to sacrificially, lovingly um, put themselves in uh, places of potential harm uh, to protect and defend. And Lord, I just think that so reflects your heart. I pray that you would bless them, guard them, watch over them. And Lord, today we thank you for them. In your name, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. So we're going to continue our series today in parables. And the parable that we're talking about today is the parable of the rich fool. And Jesus tells this one to us, and it's really interesting. I think Jesus reflects uh, something that we hear him say in another place, he, and I'm just gonna get this out. The thrust of this is that you can gain the whole world but lose your soul. And I don't know about you, but gaining the whole world is nothing compared to, I mean, what, what is the soul worth? And so my prayer today as we listen to this that, that God would dislodge something in us, that we would hear his voice and what he's speaking to us. In fact, Jesus, uh, interestingly, is, is the best teacher there's ever been. He didn't always explain himself. Like he gave parables and sometimes his disciples were like, what does that mean? And he would tell them. And other times he would give parables and he would never tell you what it meant. He would just say, let those who have ears to hear, hear. That's it. And so uh, would you do something with me? Would you grab your earlobe? And, uh, and let's, just, let's just pray, Lord, that we, have, we would have ears that are attentive to your voice today. We have ears, let us listen. So, so we're gonna dive into this. We're gonna talk about uh, this, this orientation of our hearts. And that's really what we're talking about because as we talk about wealth or we talk about greed and generosity, we're really talking about an orientation of our hearts because frankly, you can have nothing wealth-wise in this world and your heart can be attached to stuff. Truth? And you can have everything, mountains of wealth, and your heart can be holding that loosely to the things of God. So we wanna to get to the heart orientation. And so I'll start by pointing this out. This week, somebody won the lottery. Somebody won $2 billion. Not only that, the person who sold the ticket, their reward as a percentage was $1 million just for selling the ticket. Like, it makes me think of that old song, if I had a million dollars, you know what I'm saying? Except it would be, if I had two billion dollars, what would you do with two billion dollars? Some of you are probably thinking, you know, I think I could do a lot of good with two billion dollars, God. You know, are you listening? 
Some of us are also thinking, I could do that good from my own private island, uh, flying there with my own private plane and then riding, riding on, on my own private yacht. I could do a lot of good from there, right? Because inside of us, there is an orientation if we're not, if we're not careful that is often thinking about ourselves, looking internally. And that's one of the orientations I wanna talk about today. And we're gonna start by looking at that orientation of greed. So here's a definition of greed. Greed is an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or recognition. The word greed that we get in English is from an old English word that means voracious or insatiable. It's a hunger that can't be filled. And we can be greedy for stuff, but we can also be greedy for accomplishments, uh, for accommodations, for affirmations. It, it's an appetite that never has enough. More, 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 me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And I've noticed this about the human condition is that that meanness starts pretty early on in life. Anybody know of a toddler or hang around with a toddler that their favorite word is mine? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Like I, I was uh, hanging around with a couple toddlers recently watching them play and they had a bunch of multicolored toys out, more than enough for, for the two kids that were there. But you know which toy this, they wanted? Yeah, the, yeah, you got it. The answer is whatever one the other kid had, right? So, so this little girl, she grabs a toy just like this and, and she sees that this other kid likes it or wants it and she just grabs it. And she didn't say these words, but essentially what she was saying is mine. And then I noticed something really interesting as she, as she toddled around, um, she would try and play with other things, but she couldn't do it because she had this one in her hand and she would not release it. It's mine. And I kind of wondered, like, I wonder if I could give her $100 if she would give me that. W what do you think? No, she probably wouldn't. What she would probably say is like, yeah, I'll take the 100 because they're both mine, right? Because, because that's toddler world. And, and I think in a toddler's world, we start to learn that mind. But do we ever really get out of that? I mean, I really think as we get older, we just get better at hiding it. That me mentality, that it's mine is still deep within us. Uh, there's a comedian by the name of Brian Regan, has a whole bit, and I cannot do it justice, so I won't even try, but he has a whole bit that he calls the me monster. And uh, what it is when we encounter the me monsters. And you know, you, you kind of know these people, you might run into them at a party, they just want to talk about me and every topic comes back to, be, to myself. And let me tell you about my great accomplishments and me, me, my, 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 me monster. You track in there? See, comedians are so much better at this stuff. The me monster. And, uh, and there's a guy, Tim Keller, who wrote an amazing book that talks about this same topic from a different place. By the way, if you get nothing else from this message, check this book out. It will change your world. It's like a 15-minute read. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. You see that up on the screen there. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in there, he talks about how broken, that brokenness uh, that's inside of us, how our egos are broken. And he says something I think is profound. He said, when our bodies are working well, the parts of our body, we don't notice them. We only notice them when they're broken. For instance, I doubt many of us woke up this morning thinking about our toes. Did you? Like, did you wake up and be like, yeah, some of you might. If you did, it might be because your toes are hurting or hurt recently and you're like, they feel so much better right now because it's those, those things. Like, you probably didn't wake up and like go, my toes, I love my toes. Jesus, thank you for great toes today. You probably didn't do that, right? 
But go ahead and grab your toe. Yep. Yeah, just give it a little squeeze there. Yeah, it's doing well. Yeah, feel that toe. Yeah, you, you don't think about it unless something's broken. And then it's screaming for attention. And that's what our egos are doing. They're constantly screaming, me, what about me? Mine, 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 mine. And so let's talk about that me monster. And what I wanna do is kind of web MD this for us. Uh, what are some symptoms and signs of the me monster? So let's check this out. Signs and symptoms of the me monster. First one, desire to be the center of attention. And this is what uh, the phrase that comes with that. Let me tell you about me. Yeah, you, you know, I kind of mentioned this earlier with the Brian Regan bit, the me monster is always at the party, wants to know about you, wants you to know about me, my accomplishment, whatever you've accomplished, I've got a better story than you. I just want to draw it back to my favorite topic, myself. Or maybe you've heard this one. Um, when you're at a party, how do you tell if somebody went to Harvard? Yeah, they'll tell you. Exactly. That's how you know they went to Harvard. So that's, that's one sign and symptom of the me monster. Second one is comparison sickness. The what about me monster. And you've probably heard this before, but the comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. This is really dangerous in our culture today, by the way, because we, we don't put our, our uh, real selves usually on social media. We put our best filtered version of ourselves. So when we're comparing ourselves to others, have you ever noticed sometimes that social media can make you anxious? Like there's that little bit of that comparison sickness in there where, where we're often comparing our real life moments to people's filtered, filtered best moments put out on social media. Like I, I have literally sat in the room with a couple whose life was falling apart. They're, they're like just just they're not getting along, things are broken all around them. And then later that day, seeing their posts on social media that are just like, we have the perfect life, everything's great, look at us. And I'm like, stop posting that. Like it's not true. But we tend to compare our worst to others' best. And we kind of go, well, what about me? And sometimes we can be happy with what we have until we see what somebody else had. I mean, sounds a little bit like a toddler with a toy. What about me? So these are, these are what I would call the, the version of greed that all of us go, yeah, this is a problem, we need to deal with this. But the next two symptoms, they're a little more subtle. And because they're more subtle, I think they're more dangerous. These are the symptoms of greed that are, I would call, acceptable greed. So let's take a look at them. The next one here is discontentment. This is the do what makes you happy version of the me monster. Do what makes you happy. Just the pursuit of, of self-fulfillment. And let, let me just say this, and I want to get these words exactly right. So I'm going to go to my notes. Pursuing your own personal fulfillment above all else is actually the least fulfilling thing you can do. Can I say that again? Pursuing your own self-fulfillment above all else is actually the least fulfilling thing you will do. You will not find it. Uh, Pastor Chaz caught me between services and he goes, you know, you know the problem with gain the whole world is uh, nobody can do that anyway. Who's, when do you ever have enough? We always want more, more, more. We're always discontent. So uh, there's this quarterback that you might have heard of. His name is Tom Brady. Yes, a few of you. Yeah, so Tom Brady has won at this point seven Super Bowls. Seven. Now after his third Super Bowl, 
Uh, he did an interview with 60 Minutes. Fascinating interview. He's at the top of his game, literally just won three Super Bowls, which is a big deal at the time. He's got seven now, but a huge deal at the time. But this is what the, the thrust of the interview was. And you can look this up on YouTube. It's fascinating. It's basically saying, I thought there would be more than this. Is this all there is? Like he's at the pinnacle of what we think is success in our world, in the globe. And yet he goes, is this all there is? Like beware, beware of the do what makes you happy, discontentment, me monster. And then the last one here is, is the sign and symptom of performance-ism. You won't be able to Google that word because I made it up, but performance-ism. Uh, and this says, my ability defines my worth. And, and this is subtle and dangerous, especially in America. We are only as good as our last success. And then when we've been successful, we're like, well, we gotta top that the next time we do something. And, and this is where it's really dangerous for us Christians. If we define our witness to other people by our performance and not our dependence on God. So let me make that really clear. Our witness to the world is not about our performance, how good you are, how good of a, a servant you are, how kind you are, how moral you are. Like those are, those are things that should be fruit of a dependent life on God, but that is not our witness. Our witness is not about you or me. It's about God. So our witness is about our dependence, not our performance. Now listen, because y'all came here to worship today did you come here to hear a performance, to see a performance, or did you come here because you were dependent on God and you just want to worship him? Who's at the center of your worship? Because I'll tell you, it's really, really fine line between creating a well, uh, fine-tuned worship experience that is a performance for all of us, not just talking about what happens up here, and not have a well-developed, dependent heart on God. Gotta be really, really careful of this. You following me? So, so I got some bad news for you. Uh, there's a monster sitting next to you. There's a me monster sitting next to you. Would you just look at the person next to you and tell them, you, this message is about you. I got even worse news. There's a me monster sitting in your seat. Would you look at the person next to you and say, this message is about me, me. I didn't hear any me's. There we go, thank you, thank you. This message is about me. See, so if we have a sickness, if we all in here had COVID diagnosed, we'd be going, how do we fight COVID? If we all in here had cancer, we'd be like, how do we fight cancer? We all have a me monster in us. We need to be saying, how do we fight the me monster? And I'll tell you, thank God that God is the one who does this. So Jesus, when confronted with a me monster question, here's the parable and this brings us to our passage for today. This is what he says. And Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll big, build bigger ones. 
And, then I, and there I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. By the way, this is kind of by definition the American dream. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a strong attack on the me monster. That's a strong attack. So here's, here's the thing that's fascinating about, to me about this parable is this man, uh, like his funeral, God took his life. His funeral is probably filled with people who wanted to be like him who looked at him and said he is a hero and an upstanding, amazing, successful person in our society. Everybody probably came with accolades of what a great, accomplished person he was, and yet God looked at him and said, fool. Gain the world, but lose your soul? It's not worth it. And so I gotta ask, what is the orientation of our hearts? So, so here are three errors that this rich man made. And we'll just buy, d- dive through these real quick. The rich man's errors were not recognizing first the source of his wealth. He did not recognize that his wealth came from God. It wasn't his own. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why God tells us to tithe? Like he doesn't, God owns everything. He doesn't need it. Our, our churches, it's not because our churches need it. Why does God tell us to tithe? Because this is what it's meant to say. It's meant to say giving 10% is actually a statement that 100% of what I have and who I am is yours, God. That's what the purpose of the tithe is. We see that all over the place. I, so like if, if you had $100 in singles and you put 10 and gave them, you would be saying all 100 of those singles are meant to serve God. Doesn't that change a little bit how you look at what's in your bank account? You are stewards. We are all stewards of what we have. By the way, what uh, percentage do you think the average Christian in America gives? The answer is two. And that's a, that's a roundup number, 2%. Yeah, interesting. Next error that he makes is the better use, uh, the rich man's errors were not recognizing the better use of his wealth. Uh, he was using it to serve himself. Uh, he, was, he was holding it tightly. So, so, uh, so do this with me if you would. Take your thumb, put it in your hand, and just squeeze it tight. He was doing the, the, the adult version of the toddler move. This is mine. And I think God calls us to hold what we have loosely. This is yours. It changes how we use and think about who we are and what we have. Which, by the way, I, I just want to celebrate. This is a church that does operate this way, holds loosely. Like, like this is a church that gives generously to missionaries and missions uh, here, near, and far. This is a church that, that serves, and you all involved in so many ways serving, and I've seen this in, in, in so many ways. This is a church that says God has blessed us. We use even our physical buildings in, in tithe space in time to them. How many community funerals have happened in, in uh, the room that I'm in right now? Uh, the Hope House is an example of this. The the hub at Bush Lake is an example of this. And we're gonna have at the end of this message some special guests who uh, we're gonna get to meet who, are, who are, are the generosity of this church is creating more generosity in their church all through that hub ministry. And so hold loosely, not tightly. 
Third, better use. I'm sorry, third, the rich man's heirs were not recognizing the temporary nature of his wealth. Who here likes board games? Yep. Anybody played Monopoly? Any Monopoly people? Yep. How many, is your game Catan? Anybody like Catan? All right, there's a few Cataners, all right, yep. How about, how about Wingspan? This is the true test of if you like board games. Yeah, we got some. It takes a little bit to learn, but Wingspan, it, okay, it's a weird, nerdy game. Just be, you know, if you, if you look at it, just know that. But that's the true test of a board game person. Now, have you ever played one of these games and just absolutely owned it? Like, like the bank didn't have as much money as you do in Monopoly, <laughs> right? Like you just owned whole swaths of the board and as people were going around, you're just like, I cannot wait to take everything you have. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Where you just, you were the empire builder. It was yours. Like, here's the thing, no matter how great that game is and how much fake money you collected, at the end of the game, where does it all go? Back in the box. Yep, the meme monster, and you might remind people of that every once in a while. Hey, remember when I beat a bunch of third graders in Monopoly? It was awesome, (laughs) right? But it all goes back in the box. Listen, our lives, they're temporary. All this we chase after, all the greed is, is, is that appetite, me, mine, more, at the end of this game, life, I mean, the, the death rate's still hovering right around 100%, right? At the end of this game, it all goes back in the box. See, when he says be rich towards God, he's doing that out of love for us, that we wouldn't be attached to things that are temporary, but instead would be rich in things that last eternally. I don't know about you, but I want that. By God's grace, he offers us that. And so, so what is the antidote to the me monster? Well, well, here it is. The antidote to the me monster is the one-two punch of gratitude and generosity. Do you know that uh, scientifically, you cannot be both grumbling, complaining, and have gratitude at the same time? Like it doesn't, it's like two different ways of thinking. Gratitude shifts the way we think. When the me monster's coming on, start to think about gratitude and it puts you in an open-handed position with God. It just shifts. Uh, I have a friend who came from Liberia to the United States and he came out of the Liberian War. Amazing, crazy stories from that. But he gets to the United States and he goes into the airport and airport bathroom and he walks into the airport bathroom and he like is overwhelmed with gratitude. He looks around and he goes, I could literally sleep on the floor in this bathroom. Like when's the last time you got overwhelmed with thankfulness to God in a bathroom? But he was caught up in wow, like, and, and, and truthfully, everything we have, every breath we take, everything is a gift. And when we operate out of a place of gratitude, it completely changes how we approach the world and how we act in generosity towards others. Instead of this is mine, it's this is a gift for me and it's my joy to share this. Completely different. And oddly enough, way more fulfilling. Way more fulfilling. So uh, the question uh, at the end of that passage, or not the question, but it says, what is it? It says, be rich towards God. First Timothy tells us what it means to be rich towards God. This is what First Timothy says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. It's temporary, which is so uncertain. But to put, I mean, just talk about Bitcoin and all that's going on there right now. Whew. But to put their hope in God, 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's the source. Command, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Uh, are you rich in good deeds? Are you rich in hope and trust in God? Like, here, here's another question for you. If I were, and I think we all know the answer to this, but what percentage of your life does God want to be devoted to serving him? What do you think the answer is? Yeah, it's all of it, 100% of it. Now, you might be going, I know the answer is 100, but I'd prefer 50. Can I go with 50, right? Because I, there's some things I just like to hold on to. No, it's all. Trust the Lord with all. Love the Lord with all. All, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. And I, I wanna pull on that passage there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That word strength, and I know Westwood here, we preached on this passage last year, but I just wanna pull on this little piece for today. That word for strength in Hebrew is the word me'od. And let's put that up here, me'od. It's even got me in it, but it adds the od. So go ahead and say that with me, me'od. Me'od is a Hebrew adverb. Note adverb, means exceedingly muchness to go the extra mile. Now, this is grammatically really interesting to me because in English, we don't use adverbs this way. It, it just, it, we, we put the word strength in, but everywhere else ma'od is used in the Old Testament, it's a multiplier, very, exceedingly, much. So, I mean, that just doesn't translate to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your exceedingliness. Like, what does that mean? He's saying like our, our devotion to God is to love him with all of our heart, our passion, all of our soul, our very being and identity. And if that didn't capture it enough, this, this word ma'od is basically saying and every extra little bit of energy, everything you are, there's nothing left out. It's all, all in Hebrew and in Greek translates in English to the word all. It's everything. So, so this same concept is applied to when the priests in the Old Testament are set apart to serve God. And, and I want, this is really important to note because we're told that we followers of Jesus today are the priesthood of believers. So we're set apart to serve God. Now this is really interesting. This is what happens when the very first priests are set apart. We find this in the book of Leviticus. It says, Moses also brought Aaron's sons forward, put some of the blood of the sacrifice on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Why did they do that? Because they were setting them apart so that their ears would be attentive to God's voice, their hands would be active in serving him and open in holding loosely the things of this world and that their feet would go where God called them to go. And so I wanna close up this message by reorientating our hearts and asking you, just asking God to bless us and reorientate us that way. So would you grab the lobe of your right ear? So you don't mirror me, yep, there you go, the opposite, yep. And uh, Lord, we pray that our ears would be attentive to your voice. Give it a little chain, it, yep. And we pray that our hands would be active in serving you. Put your thumb out right there and that we would hold loosely the things of this world. And we pray that our feet, go ahead and grab your big toe if you can do it without falling over, <laughs> that our feet would go where you have called us to go, that all of us would be in service all to you 
Jesus. And so uh, with that said, I, they're gonna do some changing up here, but I'm gonna invite forward some guests, uh, the, the leadership of Perizim Church, and uh, they're gonna, we're gonna talk to them about this very topic and how generosity uh, and the generosity of this church has blessed and multiplied in, into their life, into their church. And these are some amazing human beings. I'm really excited to introduce you to them. So while they come up, uh, let's uh, throw up a couple photos uh, of their church and uh, we can get a little picture of some of the fun that's going on over there. So hey, let's welcome them up. What's up? All right, these are my these are my friends. So excited <laughs> to see you guys, and uh, yeah, and I'm glad you're here. And uh, so tell us tell us about Parazim Church. Introduce yourselves and tell us about the church. Yeah, so my name is Ebenezer. I promise I'm not a Scrooge, and uh, <laughs> I am one of the co-pastors at Parazim Church. Uh, my name is Yosef, and I'm the other co-pastor at Parazim Church. Hi, I'm Salim, wife to Yosef, and I am part of the leadership team at Parazim. And she's yeah. the first lady So what's interesting about our story, uh, raised in the Ethiopian church, Ethiopian evangelical church in East St. Paul. Uh, growing up, I had no real vision or plan to plant a church. We just kind of found ourselves in this position. Um, our church, uh, God bless, had the foresight to give us a youth pastor. So we had youth ministry but there was no real plan for us afterwards. And the reason why I say that is because the main congregation, the service was spoken in Amharic, which is one of the languages in Ethiopia. And for us, you know, we grew up in America. And so we're like, we want Hillsong and uh, <laughs> music. We don't know what's going on over there. And so fast forward, when I graduated college and they asked me to come be the youth pastor, I got there and I saw that we had everybody from ages 13 to 25 in one room. Mm. I was like, this is a problem. <laughs> and so one of the first things we did is we just solved that problem, started a young adult ministry, split them off from the youth ministry. And when we did that, God began to do something beautiful. Um, we started to see people that weren't just Ethiopian or Eritrean come. Uh, we saw people that were African-American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian. Like, it was just like, yo, where are all these people coming from? Mm. And it wasn't just young adults that were coming. It was all ages that were coming. And before we knew it, uh, we were already operating like a church. And then this is where Ben and I's story cross. Uh, he came one random Sunday. It was our Pastor Appreciation Month. And, uh, and I did not appreciate he it. He didn't appreciate <laughs> it. I just I hung out in the back. I didn't say a word. Yeah, talking about that me monster there. I <laughs> uh, didn't say thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then, yeah, we didn't get a chance to connect, but that's the first time he came and checked out what was going on. A couple weeks later, our family invited his family over to our house for dinner, and that's where we got to engage at the very well, end. Well, we really didn't get to engage because... Ebenezer was at the kids' table, yeah. <laughs> and I was at the adult table. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a cultural thing. We're yeah. never grown enough for our parents <laughs> yeah. in Ethiopian yeah. culture. I'm a grown man. I'm 31, and my parents think I'm 16 still, but that's a whole other story. So I was with the kids, <laughs> and at the end, we exchanged numbers, and we met up at Brugger's shortly after. Yep. And over bagels, uh, Ben asked the question, have you ever thought about planting a church? To which I reply, what is that, right? And at the time, I didn't know that was it. Now I know there's a whole world of church planting. But at that point in my life, I had no context for what that was. And as he explained, I was like, yeah, I, I don't think that's us. We don't have the resources. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the experience. We don't have the knowledge. 
And he began to speak life into me. He began to speak life into Perizim. And he began to remind us that God had started something special and that God was calling us to something special. And after a few conversations and prayer, uh, we decided to plant Perizim Church. And on August 18 of 2019, we planted Perizim Church. Yeah. And so that's our awesome. story. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so funny that he's like, we didn't, we didn't know, we didn't have what it takes to plant. I'm like, so what, what, what's going on? He's like, well, we got like 30 people. We meet on a <laughs> weekly basis. We got serve teams. We got, we got hospitality. We got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we do all these things. I'm like, I'm like, brother, you're already running a church. <laughs> <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like you're, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks well, for that heads it, up. Yeah, yeah. 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 You did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so tell us about Perizim, the name of the church what, yeah. what does that mean where does that come from yeah Perizim uh it's funny because every time people come and ask us like what does the name Perizim mean we're like it sounds really confusing because Perizim it kind of sounds like a you know more than a, a book from the bible it sounds like something from a Harry Potter book doesn't it like right. abracadabra Perizim right? <laughs> uh, and so every week on Sundays at our services, we have to tell people what Perizim means because yeah. it's so confusing. Yeah. Uh, Perizim isn't actually from Harry Potter. It's from <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 5. Um, David, in one of his thousands time that he's fighting the Philistines, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, asks the Lord, um, if I go and fight against these Philistines, Lord, will you go with me? Mm. Will you go before me? Will I have this victory? And the Lord tells him, yes, I will be with you and I will give you the victory. Mm. A long story short, David defeats the Philistines and names the place where he defeated them uh, Baal Perazim, meaning the Lord has broken out or the Lord has given me breakthrough. So yeah. Perazim just simply means Lord of the victory, Lord of breakthrough. Yeah, um, what's interesting about that passage, though, it wasn't when, when David defeated the Philistines. In a lot of these military stories that we see in the Old Testament, you see the, the, the enemies like, leaving their treasure, leaving their weapons, and then the people come and like, oh, we got wealthier, or we got more weapons now. But in that passage specifically, the Philistines left their idols. Mm -hmm. They dropped their idols yeah. and ran away. Yeah. And that was so uh, in indicative of what we want Perizim to be. Not merely just a political win or some kind of like, oh, prosperity of I got more money or I, I've, I've gained some more things. But Lord, Lord, that when, we, when people come to Perizim, mm -hmm. we want them to come to the foot of the cross, yep. drop, kind of like your message today, mm -hmm. dropping their idols, dropping the things in their hands yeah. that they're so attached to, leaving them at the foot of the cross yep. and in inheriting your victory through the finished work yeah, of Jesus good, on man. the cross. Yeah. So we have this saying at... Yeah. <laughs> We, we, we have this saying at Perizim, from, not for. Mm -hmm. So we engage all of life from a place of victory yeah. and not for the victory. Yeah. Yeah. So Perizim simply means Lord of the vic victory. And what we want people to experience when they come to church yeah. is victory yeah. in their spiritual life and in all aspects of your life. Because mm -hmm. the gospel is permeating through every facet mm -hmm. of life and not just in our spiritual means. Mm -hmm. Can you tell we got some preachers in this house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you're preaching today at five o'clock. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 A yeah. Sample. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a little sample. Yeah, just a little taste. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. And then um, I... I know that, tell us about where Westwood came into the story and, and how that kind of holding loosely that, that generous heart of Westwood has affected you guys in, in, along that journey. Yeah. Um, so like I said, we planted Perizim Church August 18 of 2019. As all of you guys know, six months later, 
COVID happened <laughs> and the whole world shut down. And I know that's impacted all of us in different ways. I'm just here to share how it impacted us. Um, you know, we're a very young church. We planted out of a young adult ministry. And so we were still building momentum. We were still getting our feet wet. We're building roots. And we were just, yeah, taken aback by everything that was going on. And now we went from meeting in service, trying to build momentum to now meeting online. And we were barely on YouTube at the time. We barely knew what we were doing. I don't even know if we had a camera at the time. And uh, it was tough. That transition was tough. It's tough getting young adults to tune in online. And so we try to set culture. We told all of our leadership team, we need you in the chat. So whether you like the message or not, we need you in the chat. That was so good. Fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. <laughs> hands raised, hands raised, hands raised. And the leadership team was like, bro, there's nobody here. I was like, we're building culture. Yes, we are. Uh, and so uh, just trying to make it work. Uh, but like it just, after a few months, it felt like it wasn't working. Um, nobody was coming to our online service. Um, we tried to reach out, nobody's responding. In 2020, you know, everybody got hit in different ways. And even as a collective, we were all getting hit. And we began to wonder, did we make a mistake? Um, did we plant Perizim Church prematurely? Should we have not planted all together? And then we started having honest conversations about shutting down. The tough part about 2020 was nobody knew when this was going to end. We we're just here and we're like, okay, let's hope that we'll come back in three months. Three months passed, we're still here. Uh, six months passed, we're still here. And we just didn't know the end. And, and to make matters worse, you know, we have a lot of young adults. People aren't tuning in online. Uh, the giving isn't there. And we're like, okay, even if we were to come back, is that even something we can afford? Uh, do we have the capacity, the financial capacity to come back? Do you remember one, uh, one of our services, um, we just had one person show up. Like outside of like the leadership team, yeah. there was one person just that came one yeah. to attend the service. And that was my sister. <laughs> was it? I was going to say. I don't, like, want, I don't want to say that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, uh, uh, hey, those fire works. Fire emoji, yeah. fire emoji. <laughs> hey, she said amen to all my points. Uh, um, but uh, so we sat down. It wasn't over bagels this time, but we got yeah. some pizza. Yeah, we got a food thing going. We do. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, yep. there's something magical that happens at the table. Um, amen. And we sat down, I was very honest with Ben, who is our church planting coach and really helped us get um, going. I said, hey, I think we're, we're gonna shut down. I don't know if we're gonna be able to continue going. We're losing morale. We don't know how long we can do this. And Ben again affirmed what God had began at Perizim Church and began to speak life into us. And he said, no, no, no. I don't know what this is gonna look like, but I'm in it with you guys and we'll figure it out. And he let us know, have you heard of Westwood Church? And I was like, no, I haven't heard of Westwood Church. He's like, well, they're committed to helping 100 different ministries in the next 10 years. Are you interested in partnering with them? And my initial thoughts were, oh, I don't know, like maybe we should get a meeting going, get to meet them, see what's going on. And from the very first time we met some of the staff here at Westwood, we felt an immediate connection. We felt the love, we felt the embrace, we felt cared for, we felt like, um, we mattered and we had a few conversations. We prayed. Our team all felt it wasn't just me, which is helpful uh, because if you're the only one who's feeling it and the whole leadership team isn't feeling it, good luck, right? <laughs> but everybody's like, there's something special about this church. There's something different about this church. 
and we decided to partner with you guys. And this past August, we celebrated three years. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why we got to celebrate three years is because of you guys' generosity, opening up your arms and welcoming us in and giving us a space to worship. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I absolutely yeah. agree. Uh, we're, we've been extremely... <laughs> Extremely blessed by Westwood's generosity. Uh, we were able to run our church very smoothly, which is, um, you know, a struggle, a very common challenge for a young church like us. Um, and uh, we, we know it's beyond that. Um, generosity begets generosity. And uh, since we partnered with Westwood, we've increased our giving from 10% to 20%. Mm -hmm. And that, ha that giving has been uh, enabling us to um, meet the practical needs of our church, our members, partner with local ministries, and even support a missionary from our church. Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you all have seen the hub space where kind of office and worship is. And I know we've got some photos if you want to show. That might be a good time to throw them up there so we can, we can just get a picture because not everybody's been over there. But, mm -hmm. but this is kind of that shared office space. Uh, and then there's a whole worship space that that, the, that you all uh, are utilizing, and there's a lot of really cool stuff happening there as multiple yeah. ministries are rubbing shoulders and, uh, and yeah. connecting. And that's a family picture wall, by the way. It's got like all the different ministries. If you ever go over there, just look at it. It's like, hey, look at all the different people and what's happening here. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's inspiring. I'm like, I need a family picture wall like that at home. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, yeah. it's really nice. But tell us, uh, you know, we love stories of impact, gospel impact. Can you just sh share with us a little bit about how God's been using you all? I mean, generosity multiplied uh, to, uh, to make an impact in his kingdom. Yeah, one of the things that I really just love about Perizim is really the, the diversity that is able to join us in our worship and in our services. Um, yesterday, or this weekend, we had a leadership retreat for all of our leaders at, at, at our church. And a lot of churches, they, they are intentional in diversity, intentional in trying to bring, oh man, like all their cultures. Um, with Perizim, it's really just taking a life of its own. Mm. Um, and so one of the things that you'll see when you come to Perizim is really the diversity of people that call Perizim home um, and that are fully invested. To get like a bunch of 20-year-olds <laughs> to be committed to a church, yeah. uh, be planting, invested in kingdom work is a miracle in and of itself. Yeah. But man, Perizim is so unique in that it's hard to put us in a box. Yeah. You'll find us like 45, 50 minute sermons, reform theology. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm not coming to five anymore. <laughs> you'll, you'll hear hip hop at the end, <laughs> gospel in the beginning, contemporary worship in the, in the middle. Like what box do these people like fit in? It's, it's really hard to define it, but really to be able to see the diversity, to be able to see multiple people coming together and worshiping the Lord with one accord, uh, a little bit of a, a taste of heaven. Mm. And so glad to be able to partner with Westwood to be able to reach the broader Twin Cities for the kingdom of God yeah. is yeah. a privilege and an honor. And we thank you for your generosity. And that one day, you know, like earlier this morning, we went to the chapel service and just worshiping in that place, hearing the stories of how Westwood itself you know, hearing the testimony of that, you guys used to meet at the dinner theater mm -hmm. and you guys grew up to this point. Mm -hmm. Man, would, if, if God willing in his sovereign will that Perizim would one day be able to support a young mm -hmm. church like this yeah. mm -hmm. to, to go off and reach again for the next generation yeah. is such yeah. a privilege and an honor. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you that we're able to hand in hand rebuild the kingdom of God together. Yeah. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen. So how many, how many baptisms do y'all have at Easter this last year? 
We have four baptisms. Four baptisms. Baptism. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, and each one of those is a credible story, too. So, hey, let's stand. I want to pray for you guys, and then, uh, and then we'll roll. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for um, these incredible people, the leadership that they represent of their church and who they are. And I just pray, Lord, that you would guide and bless this partnership, guide and bless them, and continue to multiply your kingdom yeah, through their hands and through your work and our work together, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen, amen. Let's give them one last hand. So, so they didn't tell us this, but I got to share this. They don't have any full-time staff at that church. Like they, these are volunteers. They're given their lives uh, wholly and completely to the service of God in this powerful way. And I just think again, as we close up everything today, that may our ears be attentive to the Lord. May our hands be in service to him and, oh, and hold loosely the things of this world. And may our feet go where he leads us to go, that all of us may be in service to him. Because listen, you can have everything in this world but Jesus, but you actually have nothing. You can have nothing in this world but Jesus, you have everything. So would you join me in prayer as we close? Lord, ma'od, may every ounce of our being be in service to you. May we hold lightly to the things of this world and hold tightly to you. May our ears be attentive and our feet be active. May we be people who are generous because, Lord, we see the, we see the gift and are grateful for all that you have done and all that you are. Honor you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.